Paul Steinhauser. Guess guess where he is? Guess where he is? Perch, he's hanging out. He is on duty for Fox Nationally. For us, of course, locally, GM. Of course, uh, Good Morning New Hampshire, the Pulse of an H in our uh, Sig Sauer studios. Paul's in South Carolina, ahead of the big Republican primary coming up there. Let's start with Paul on this Tuesday morning. Good morning, Steiny. Good morning, Jackie. And guess who I ran into yesterday at a couple of Nikki Haley events here in South Carolina? Dom Bulldog, the uh, retired general who, you know, he's been with Haley since day one when she announced it a year ago. Uh, and he's down. He was down here introducing her at three different events yesterday. We got a lot going on down here today, Jack. We got the former president, Donald Trump, here in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I am. He's got a Fox News town hall later today. And Haley's giving a big speech. They're calling it a state of the race speech. I guess where she's going to explain why she's still in this race while she's staying in, even though she faces a huge, huge uphill climb for the nomination. Two new polls out this morning here in South Carolina, one with Trump with a 23-point lead, one with a 28-point lead. Jack, as you mentioned, the primary is Saturday. Paul, any um, any sense if this changes much? Here we are Tuesday, you know, days away. It, it feels a little bit like going into New Hampshire where these polls were showing Trump with a big lead. Uh, and Nikki Haley said she wants to do better than she did in New Hampshire. That means she'd have to uh, come up a little bit here. Does it feel like Trump gets something more than 20 points? Does that feel like it's holding, or is there anything that could change that? It, it does feel like it's holding. I mean, listen, she's very well liked here. She was the governor for uh, six years. Uh, but this is a conservative state, a lot more conservative than New Hampshire. Independents can vote here in the primary, in the Republican primary, but independents are not nearly as much of a factor here in South Carolina as they are back home in New Hampshire. But we'll see, right? She, she defied the polls uh, a couple weeks ago back in New Hampshire. Maybe she'll do it again tomorrow. But she says regardless, she's sticking in this thing at least into Super Tuesday back uh, coming up on March 4th. But it sure does look, you know, you know, Jack, like Trump is, if it's not over, it will be over soon, right? And no surprise, like um, tomorrow or Thursday, like a Ron DeSantis, a couple days before New Hampshire, pulling out. Uh, no surprise on Haley's end? Well, you know, there was some speculation that why she gave him this big speech today. Is she, is she calling it quits? But I, I'd be extremely surprised uh, because I was talking to her campaign yesterday. And it does not sound like that. And last night at her rally... She was once again telling her supporters she's in this. She's, she's up to dealing with the pain from Donald Trump. So it does not sound like at all like she's dropping out. But we'll see. All right. Thank you, Paul. Paul Steinhauser, live from South Carolina to kick off Good Morning New Hampshire on the Pulse of an Age. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Jack. Michael Graham, NH Journal, NewHampshireJournal.com. We might get one final <laughs> thought from him this week as well on his native uh, South Carolina, head of the big primary there, coming up in a few days. But we're talking about another story that I just was talking about. He sent me a note on or I saw in New Hampshire Journal, nhjournal.com. Great resource in the morning. A lot of good stuff happening. Michael Graham, uh, Tuesday morning. Good morning. Good morning, Jack. Yes, so, uh, yet again, another story that you can only find at nhjournal.com. You know, it's interesting, Jack, how many stories are like that, like the story about the uh, the crazy word website uh, in the governor's, you know, in the, in the Sununu administration. So uh, this one's out of Northwood, right? Northwood School yeah, at a Board. Northwood School Board. They elected a guy named Gary Karen Carone. I apologize, Mr. Car- I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, and he was a longtime outspoken on the left uh, social media guy. You know, these guys, Jack, who have to post angry tweets all the time. Yeah. And the angry tweets contained a lot of obscene, sexually explicit and racially charged language. Well, then he got elected to the school board. And he has continued to do the same thing, including calling uh, Senator Tim Scott when he came to visit New Hampshire a house N-word 
and a sexual person. And he also, uh, Carrie Lake, you know, she's the U.S. Senate candidate out in Arizona who supports Trump. She came to campaign in New Hampshire, and he called her a word that rhymes with a baseball term that's sometimes used by batters. And this is all while he's a member of the school board. And shockingly, because he's posting this on, uh, you know, social media, like Twitter, X, whatever the heck it's called now, people noticed. And so an external noticed. And so we reached out to him and, you know, asked about his uh, language towards women and minorities and also towards Republicans. You were reading from his post that the hate has no home unless it's towards Trump, his supporters, white men, Christians, and conservatives, and Mr. Carone declined to comment. Well, the uh, Northwood School Board meets Wednesday night, and they told us uh, exclusively at NHJournal.com yesterday that they will be discussing his status. But they also pointed out that they don't really have an ability to remove someone for their, on their own time, you know, behavior, you know, assuming it's not illegal. And it's not illegal to be a really lousy, awful, racist, sexist person on the interwebs. So we'll, there may be nothing you can do except, of course, vote the guy out. And that's, uh, that's I think, is the lesson for the Grand State is, you know, we end up with some of these crazy people because people don't run. They're un, you know, like in the case of Gary Carone, he was uh, unopposed in his bid for the school well, who, board. I have a question you know? for you. These are sure. important posts, but who in this environment, who would want to run for these posts? Yeah, no, listen, I, 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 on the one hand, I agree. On the other hand, you know, if more normal people showed up, show up, right, right. then the wackos get, uh, you know, they get sidelined, right. they get, uh, you know, marginalized. I'll give you another example. Um, Senator Tim Lang uh, is uh, facing a, a challenger, a Democrat. It was just announced this morning, and it's Carlos Cardona, uh, a young, enthusiastic uh, Democrat who, who is very, very far left. He was the campaign manager for Marianne Williamson. And so if I were a Democrat, I would be concerned because you want to have a debate between candidates who kind of reflect where the two parties are. And if the Democrats end up running, you know, Marianne Williamson style candidates and, you know, uh, AOC style candidates, that that happens because others won't run. And so you just you got to you know, you want normal people, whether it's school board, town committee or state legislature, whatever, try to get uh, normal people involved. And the more normal people that show up, the more power they have in their normality, and the weirdos look less weird. Now, Jack, I want to ask you about something. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the stories that President Biden is apparently going to have the U.S. go to the U.N. and pressure Israel not to carry out their next phase of the war and to push for some kind of uh, we are going to announce now there will be a two-state solution approach, something that the uh, Israeli right. government's already rejected. Have you seen that story? Yes, and of course the U.N. Security Council poised to have this symbolic vote today on a ceasefire in Gaza. Yeah, and so here's my question. You know, obviously the people who support Israel are upset by Biden doing this. They want Israel to be able to remove Hamas, just as when America went to Afghanistan, we were not going to leave al-Qaeda. We were not going to say, well, we got half of al-Qaeda good enough. Do you think that our federal delegation, Senator Shaheen and Senator Hassan in particular, who sit on committees related to this, will say anything about President Biden's decision to do what some people would consider stabbing Israel in the back at a time when they need us? There, 
basically Biden's have taken a lot of heat <clears throat> from his own party and younger voters who think there should be a ceasefire earlier than this, and they're upset with him for standing so loyally with Israel. So now he's being a politician, and he's kind of bending a little bit. I'm just curious, like I said, Senator Shaheen sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. She sits on the Armed Services Committee. And she's been, she's been steadfast on supporting Ukraine and Israel, right? Yeah. Well, will, will she we'll now? See. I don't now know. Now that Biden has shifted, will she stay steadfast or will she follow Biden? I, I haven't that's seen a lot of criticism opinion. from our delegation on anything the Biden administration has done. That's a very good point. And then my last, last question for you, Jack. Yesterday's President's Day, so we had a piece about how New Hampshire has one you know, president from the Granite State, yep, and he yep. was one of the worst ever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a lot of great Granite Staters who could have and should have perhaps been president, we asked people to nominate folks, and they nominated everyone from a 17th century Pentecook uh, uh, sachem to uh, Mitt Romney. Nobody, Jack, nominated you <laughs> as someone who would Good, make a great goodness. Granite State president. Who would you put on your list of Granite Staters past or present who you think would make a great president? <sighs> Why are you asking me? I'm not part of your survey. Well, no, I'm just curious. Uh, John, you know, Johnny Sununu's name came up. Josiah Bartlett, not surprisingly, Drew Klein from Josiah Bartlett Center mentioned him. Uh, is who? Who? When you look at uh, the history of New Hampshire and I'd, current New Hampshire, I'd probably who go. Do you think I would have gone back a lot longer? Probably Captain John Langdon way back. <laughs> So who's Captain John Langdon? I, I have no idea. He's one of our founding fathers out of Portsmouth. He was an amazing individual. Um, you know, back in a time when they did these amazing things, whether it was signed, you know, actually William Whipple signed the Declaration of Independence. Right. I think uh, uh, Langdon signed the Constitution. But these early, fo- for, you know, founding fathers of our mm-hmm. con- our state, uh, go- you know, I think it was governor as well, Langdon, would have been a great president. But. Well, writing this piece, I learned about someone I'd never even heard of named Levi Woodbury. Mm-hmm. who's just amazing. He was a governor of New Hampshire, and he served in all three branches of the federal government. He was a Supreme Court justice, a senator, yeah. and a secretary of the Navy. And he was even on the short list among Democrats to be a presidential nominee, all yeah. out of little Francisburg, New Hampshire, or Francis Town, excuse me, New Hampshire. So yeah, yeah. No, of pretty course, amazing. No, it is. And back then, it's amazing what these people would do. You know, they'd, they'd yeah. go from being a teacher or a lawyer to serving in Congress to you know, becoming U.S. senator, becoming governor, all these bases that they would hit. All right, Michael, real quickly, uh, one poll has, and you're from South Carolina originally, one poll has Trump at 28, the other one has at 23 this morning. We had Paul Steinhauser live this morning, Nikki Haley going into this weekend. Does, do these numbers hold roughly? If Donald Trump wins by less than 20 points, it will be a moral victory for Nikki Haley, but she still will have lost by 20 points. So I'm one of the many confused people about where exactly are we going with this. But uh, I'm, I'm watching. I, I talked to my family. I just talked to my sister who lives down uh, in, on Lake Murray in Lexington County, one of the key Republican counties. And uh, it, she's surrounded by Trump signs. It's all Trump. All right. I appreciate it. So, no problem. Thank you. I don't know if they're going to put this deal on their credit card. Uh, Capital One and Discover credit card was a $35 billion deal. One of the stories on the economic front. Doug Teng, the worldwide market perspective on this Tuesday. Doug, good morning. Good morning, Jack. How was your weekend? It was nice. Mellow. It was nice. You? Yeah. yeah I, I I got out on the slopes, and that's uh, that's what matters. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm an old. I've been, been a skier since I was three years old. 
and uh, and I got my grandson onto the slope. So that was that That's was a really blessing. Exciting. That's a blessing. Yeah. So he, tell me this: Are they putting this? Uh, where is it? I'm just was reading notes earlier this morning. This uh, this nice fun deal here. Uh, this uh, was it. Discover uh, and oh, Capital One Discover. Yeah. yeah. Are they going to put yeah. it on? Well, their, we'll, can they can we'll, they float we'll that on their credit? Can they float that on their credit? <laughs> yeah. Well. Given the, the status of the credit market, though, this is going to be an all-stock deal. Um, assuming it goes forward, the, we'll, we'll see what the, uh, what the administration does. It's really interesting. I, you know I don't like to talk politics, but except when it affects the markets. And uh, in this case, we have uh, the choice between two administrations that um, have, will have radically different views of corporate, corporate deal-making. And this deal... You know, we're we're not talking about J.P. Morgan becoming the king of the world, becoming the emperor of the world. This is between a a successful and an unsuccessful credit card company. And you know, if if the administration doesn't let it go forward, and then a couple of years later, Discover declares bankruptcy, like you know, that what was what was gained in that one? So, will Discover really want to be acquired? And Capital One wants to acquire them. They've got a property now, uh, but it's. It's eroding if, if, because of because of the cost of, of doing business these days. Well, if Discover's on the weaker side, why why is the deal worth that much? Well, because there's a value there. They do have customers, and Capital One wants those customers. Um, you know, you erode the value if you if you just erode the value, then it's not worth anything. The customers have been lost, and it's not worth anything to, to Capital One. So I, I you know they'll all go to J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> they'll get their Chase card. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully the administration will look at it that way in a in a in a uh, you know holistic view. But they they have said no to a lot of deals, so yeah. we'll see what happens. Now I know I know the interest rates aren't going to come down real fast anytime soon. Maybe maybe by if I had to guess, Federal Reserve. I'm guessing kind of maybe June before they kind of. In my opinion, I may be wrong. I don't think they do it earlier. Point two five percent cut. But it will be a cut versus a holding steady or increase. But I'm still hearing almost weekly the number of young potential or current homeowners who are getting increasingly frustrated who want to sell or buy something new, but they're kind of locked in and they literally everything they're looking at. And I'm talking people, you know, under 40 years old is about $250,000 over what any rational person would think the home should be worth, wherever they're working in New Hampshire. It just seems that they're, they're kind of stuck, and they can't get into that next footing or step into the home ownership game because everything, and I was talking to someone this morning. I mean, Doug, you're happy in the Upper Valley. You went to college up there. You're up near Hanover. But if you hypothetically just Googled homes in Rye, went on to Zillow, Realtor.com, you know, just looked at Rye, New Hampshire, you want, say hypothetically, you and your, your family, you want to move there. You're not going to get yeah. a home in Rye unless you got to put two hundred, three hundred thousand into it, under a million dollars. It's just, it's just, yeah. a, that's the starting point. In fact, everything's right. more like 1.5. And if you're a couple living in Epping or, you know, I'm Brentwood and you want to <clears throat> take that step and move to, Ride New Hampshire, be closer to the water, and you might get let's just say six fifty, seven hundred for your house. You can't make that move, and there's a lot of there's a lot of couples I know that are increasingly frustrated that they they would move right, they would look to move this spring, but they feel like they it's they, it's out of their reach. Yep, 
Yep, and and I'll just say this is a feature, not a bug. This is what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. They're actually trying to tamp down activity, not let it, um, not let it increase. And, you know, last week we got some unexpectedly high inflation numbers. We got unexpectedly low retail sales numbers. The market was choppy. Um, we're, you know, we're only up one and a half, two percent so far this year in in the stock market anyway. And so people are saying, you know. Um, which way is this going? My own view is that that uh, this is a normalizing economy. We're settling in. Um, higher rates are are a feature of the economy, and the Federal Reserve is is going to be eventually pushed into easing, and they'll ease more than 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 uh, than they thought they would have to. They won't they won't drop. You know, they'll, maybe they'll drop twenty five. Maybe they'll have to drop fifty because. Um, things start easing a lot faster. Um, that's my own view, is that, that right now the economy is normalizing. It could get a lot weaker a lot faster than anyone expected. All right. Good stuff, Doug Tengden. I appreciate it. And, uh, of course, Worldwide Market Perspective. Thank you. Jack, you have a great week. Seacoast Online, Alicia Preston's Anthopolis. Thank you very much for sitting in for yours truly on Friday. Great job, great show. Good morning, APX. Good morning, and thanks for letting me. J-Dog and I had a good time. Yeah, only because I wasn't here. Well, that's exactly the case, yes. You can tell, though, he physically misses me when I'm not here. Oh, no, no. You you can go. You can go. No, no. He, I'll take it from here. APX and I will take it from here. In fact, he was supposed to be in Florida this weekend for to visit his buddy, and he said he didn't go because I was coming back. That's not the yeah. reason why. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, let's start in South Carolina. It feels like Trump may even have a bigger win there than he did in New Hampshire over Nikki Haley. Is that what your sense is, or am I missing something? No, I think, look, you know I'm skeptical about polls, but you got to look at the trends of them, and the trends of them are are quite phenomenal. I think Trump's going to win South Carolina very handily. Um, but Haley's still making money, too. You were talking about Biden's fundraising. Haley's gotten a really good haul. I think it was $12 million last month. Um, so she may continue. It may be a matter of Keep alive to see what happens with all these other situations that Trump's dealing with from a legal perspective. Uh, but I think Trump's going to take South Carolina easily. Interesting. And it just feels like this inevitability that it's Biden and Trump again, even though a lot of people would say, I can't believe this is happening. That, that's my theory. I was just on the phone with a friend and the words out of my mouth were, I can't believe we're going to have a Biden versus Trump in November. Like, Nobody wants, not nobody, obviously there are some people who like Biden and a lot of people who like Trump. But in general, I think the American people want a different rematch. Right. They're both too old. Yeah. They've both got too much going on. Biden's not a good president. Trump's got a so, whole lot of hot mess going on. Is this really what we're left with? <laughs> so like, let me let me, let me peel back the political psych- psychology on this one and have some fun. Alicia Preston's Anthopolis, Seacoast Online, her written and spoken work, and check it out there. Alicia, I understand. I understand the Trump support. What I mean by that is, I'm not saying I understand all the supporters, but my point is, I get, I get what the what the strong, you know, support of Trump is with a with a set number, which is probably in as you saw in New Hampshire, you're going to see in South Carolina. Trump supporters are steadfast; they're solidly behind him, and a lot of it has to do with all these lawsuits, including that New York City civil fraud case that was just found against him. The fact that everyone's taking Trump on, that he's fighting back, he's got his supporters. The more they throw at him, the more he fights back, the more fired up his base gets. So in one respect, 
I get it. You know, I understand it. What his percentage that 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 Trump can win the Republican primary process, even though Mike Pence ran in the beginning. You looked at people like his former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy. Trump was going to be hard to beat because of his solid base of support, and they feel like they've never left him, and they want him to get back in there and kind of continue the fight. I, I get it to a point, or maybe I understand it. I don't understand. I don't understand why it's Joe Biden and nothing else within the Democratic Party, because they know that it's not a lock now that he can beat Trump in the general. They don't want Trump to be president. What is this lock that Joe Biden has on his own party when so many of the Democrat voters, younger voters, middle-aged, don't want him to run again? What is this lock? Is it pure incumbency? Is it money? Is it power? What is it? I think it's pure incumbency. I think, And I actually think the Democratic Pumba, uh, you know, big Pumbas are, are misreading things. They believe that the power of the incumbency combined with the anti-Trump sentiment will keep a Democrat in the White House. What I think they're missing is there is no energy behind Joe Biden. That 42 million that came in, that's not for Joe Biden. That's against Donald Trump. And that's fine for fundraising. That's not enough for the electorate. I think the big dogs in the Democratic Party are misreading this. If they want a solid win, they don't have to do much. They have to put someone other than Joe Biden or Kamala Harris up. You could pick an Amy Klobuchar, a Gavin Newsom even, even though he's really liberal. You could put someone more palatable that doesn't have a failing record of the last three and a half years, and that person would beat Donald Trump. And they're just thinking, no, 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 the power of the incumbency, the power of the incumbency. And and I think they're misreading the electorate, who by large majority doesn't want either one of these guys on the ticket. Mm. Yeah, I I think you're right, because I know four years ago I have a theory, but I was never able to like write a little book on it. But when I watched the New Hampshire in 2020, I'm talking, and all these Democrats lining up to run, led once again in New Hampshire by Bernie Sanders. You had Elizabeth Warren. You mentioned Klobuchar. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. You had all these people. And Joe Biden ran again. But remember how big the field was, including now Vice President Harris? So yep. you had this crowded field. And I think that it might have been it might have been former President Obama, but someone behind the scenes said to that field, Bernie, you're not the one. Warren, no, nope, you're not that likable. Mayor Pete, not your time. Klobuchar, no, nope, too moderate. We're gonna we're gonna get behind Joe because like Uncle Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden, he can he can win a general election because people perceive him to be more moderate, more acceptable, more likable. We can get behind Joe. We'll start it in South Carolina, put him in there, and he'll beat Trump in a general election. And that was the feeling, and it may have worked four years ago. I think it's all changed now. Biden has aged more. His, you know, you can see the cognitive decline. He's getting older faster than Trump. There's no energy there. And the feeling that he can beat Trump again in a general, I think, might be a little bit politically naive in their part, which I think is what you're saying about the DNC, the party bosses. Yeah, no, it is. Now, look, I, I think numbers wise, Biden will beat Trump. I, I just don't see the, you know, middle-aged suburban woman in a swing state, and those are, the, those are the states that matter, voting for Donald Trump. But there is no energy behind supporting Joe Biden. It's just, you know, I always look back to 2004, and that race with, do I have the right year, John Kerry? Um, you know, anti-Bush was not a winnable enough 
argument for the Democrat to win. And that's what we're looking at now. Anti-Trump. Is that a win enough about argument to win? I happen to think it might be, but it's going to be closer than people want. And it's because Joe Biden shouldn't be running for another term. Now, look, you you mentioned 2020. I think Joe Biden won very simply. People were comfortable with him. They knew him. He'd been in government forever. I think he's probably a very nice guy. Um, Bad president, good guy. And they were comfortable going with that over the other Democrats because it's what they knew. But now they've had three years to see him as president. Right. Right. And now we're in a different thing. And and it hasn't been good. The border's a mess. The economy's in shambles. And I get so tired of hearing the eggheads telling me what the metrics are out of some D.C. book that says the economy is doing great. Because I just went grocery shopping yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my loaf of bread was four ninety nine two months ago. The brand I buy, six seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. That is a massive increase. Massive percentage increase. Yeah. And we regular people aren't reading economic, you know, egghead articles out of Harvard. We're going to the grocery store and seeing that yeah. my bread yeah. is up two dollars and seventy nine yeah, cents. I hear you. That's what we're seeing. All right, good stuff. Alicia Preston Santhopolis, APX Seacoast Online. Thank you, Alicia. Have a great day, guys. Good morning, New Hampshire, powered by Sig Sauer. Now back to Jack Heath on the pulse of New Hampshire. You know, uh, I shared earlier some commentary on the civil fraud trial or, you know, what uh, Trump, using the term trial puts it, uh, gives it a lot of respect. To me, it was a, it was actually a political witch hunt in the true sense of the word because there were no criminality. There's no criminal charges against Trump and his businesses or his family. It was just go after Donald Trump, get a huge civil fine because it's easier to find him guilty of something on the civil side versus criminals. So they went that route. The attorney general's after him. So this judge, no love lost. Obviously, you could just look into his background. $355 million fine, if you will. Take away the license to do business in New York City. Boom, there you have it. But what's the impact on the Trump businesses, plural, the resorts, the hotels, the real estate? Aaron Real, MBC News Radio National Correspondent, will look at that. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Yes, listen, it's going to be a difficult one to park through, but this blow, while not fatal today, could prove to put Trump on his back for sure. The $355 million in penalties, this is coming down from Judge Arthur Erdogan in New York for fraudulently overstating his net worth, and it opens a new tab in terms of the issues that Trump is facing right now. He has so many cases, three other going on. He is, he's facing essentially four criminal charges altogether, but this one the $55 million judgment Trump has vowed to appeal. However, he has to pay that $355 million either way, immediately, um, it, because it's going to be held in an escrow account during the appeals process with interest charge. So he needs to pony up that. And also, he's been barred from running his companies for three years, holding a director role at any of them. Also, his two sons, they've been barred for two years from doing that. They've put an independent director of compliance and an independent monitor to basically oversee stuff. And then beyond that, they can't get a loan. They've been barred from borrowing money from financial institutions chartered or registered in New York. This rules out most major international banks with offices in New York. They're in a bad place. And I was going to say, I mean, they, they, they went after them. I mean, and it's not like Elliot Ness... And the criminal folks going after the old, you know, the old school movies or something. This was a civil fraud case, not criminal. Um, a very politically motivated attorney general and judge. And you could tell from the beginning because he threw the, the judge basically said, I, I think he's already guilty and at least $250 million. So and you're right about 355. That's a big chunk of money. 
for anyone. I don't care if you're, you know, a multi, multi billionaire and he's facing all these legal costs that, it, that the, the PACs are paying on all these cases that has to be up around 75 million bucks at least on all these lawyer fees. So it's, it is going to be interesting to see how he can come up with this. And if he doesn't, if he has to sell something, I mean, that, that, that may be the only course. Yeah. I don't know. Cause if he, if they enforce this, that's a big chunk. It's not like $35 million for him. That's 355 million. Exactly. And it might ultimately end up to be closer to $450 million. And beyond that, Trump has said that he has $400 million in cash. If that assertion is true, then he could pony it up. But it will absolutely alter his lifestyle, for yeah. sure. And then beyond that, he's facing this other criminal charge with a yep. Eugene, Carroll, Eugene Carroll, where he will likely have to settle for $80 million. That That $400 million is dwindling quickly. Yep. And then beyond that, you know, if he does get a loan from a very high net worth individual or any sort of unregistered financial company, they're for sure going to want to seek his business assets as collateral, as, yep. as yep. one yep. does with a loan. Yep. yep, and without money coming in. All right, thank you, Aaron Real, obviously, News Radio National Correspondent. Thank you. We're going to bring in our friend Joe Guyton with Guyton uh, Group, uh, Portsmouth International Trade Port, the trade port over at Pease, and of course, Joe. On us was was just with us recently from the Guyton Group in Portsmouth, talking about redefining retirement, something that is almost a weekly conversation in people's lives because there's so many changing variables. Good morning, welcome back, Joe. Hi, Jack. Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm all right. I'm all right. Hope you had a good weekend and a little bit longer weekend. Well, we started talking the last time you were on, Joe, about redefining retirement, and maybe you could sort of re-examine what that means, because I think there are several variables that are sort of changing what we call traditional retirement models. Yes, that's true. Uh, you, have, uh, you have about 11,000 people a day right now turning age 65. And so just to recap some of the stuff that we were saying, uh, people are living longer today than they were when our parents and grandparents retired many years ago. Uh, and if you plan to live until uh, 100 or so, uh, you need more money to fund a longer retirement. Uh, in addition, uh, pension plans are far less common today, and a big reason for that shift is because it's so expensive for companies and employers to fund pension plans because their liability goes on so much longer because people are healthier. So, uh, you know, when I think about, for example, my grandparents' retirement, uh, they wanted to stay local. Uh, you know, they were in their hometown in uh, Franklin, Pennsylvania, and, you know, they wanted to, you know, they were in the neighborhood working at the Elks and the VFW, playing bingo, uh, you know, doing local stuff. And nowadays, people have a very different expectation around what they want to do in retirement. They want to travel, they might want to play golf, go to the theater. Uh, help their kids do things uh, as, as they grow up, and, and all of that, in addition to simply living longer, that means you need a lot more money to fund uh, those activities and also the longer life expectancy. Yep, and the things are different today. What would you, what you know, let's talk about some more things that are changing, forcing people to change the way people retire, Joe. Well... You know, one thing is certainly the uh, the pension, uh, you know, the pension and the desire to have the income, uh, and and another major factor of that is the you know the onus is on people nowadays to fund their own retirement uh, via a 401k plan, typically that's offered by an employer. 
so, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, they didn't have those. Uh, you know, like I said, they had pension plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today's retirees uh, need to contribute to their plan. Uh, they need to rely on their plan, manage their plan, uh, which hopefully they've been contributing to uh, for many, many years to take advantage of uh, uh, compounding in the market. Uh, and then, you know, when they add that to any other investments that they have or maybe the sale of a business and Social Security, uh, that gives them, uh, you know, the nest egg they need to be able to retire. But, you know, and, go ahead. And, no, sorry. And speaking of Social Security, uh, you know, you have to be older now to get it. If you're born after 1960, you can't get it in uh, your full retirement age. Uh, until age 67, not right. not age 65 like it used to be. So people are having to wait a little longer for that. Yeah, and Joe Guyton, I want to just go back to, before I talk about, um, you know, what people need to do now. You mentioned living longer for some, for many. You never know. We never know because the traditional retirement age was younger. The traditional passing away age was younger. Uh, one of the realities, I don't know if some people can plan um, successfully. I mean that sincerely, even if they try and do their best to have a 401k, to have savings and retirements beyond, you know, if they live to be into their nineties, a couple gets very expensive. Um, and I think, I think you're just going to, one result is people are going to work longer. You're going to see more and more people working 30, 25, 30 hours a week in their mid, mid seventies, early eighties. Even, I think you're going to see people out and about working more because they need that income. Isn't that a, uh, isn't that a reality? Yes, uh, that's a reality, and, and, you know, just going back to where you started, uh, people are living longer and they need more money to live on. Uh, you know, many, many years ago, uh, when people had pensions, uh, they were told that their pension would replace 50, 60, 65% of their income, and that's what they expected to live on in retirement, and that's because that's how much the actuaries and the companies were willing to fund to put into the plan. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays, uh, people want to be very active. Uh, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, if you retire younger uh, or even a little, you retire younger, you retire older, uh, you can still live potentially 20 or 30 more years after your retirement right. date. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you need to think about how you're going to pay for your living expenses, uh, all the things you need, your you know, travel, your car, your food, insurance, and so forth. Right. And if you want to travel, play golf, or do any of those other things, uh, that's an add-on, right? You yeah. need more money for that. Yeah, I guess that's part of where you could go next or what you answered, Joe Guyton, Guyton Group, Pease International uh, Trade Board in, in, in Portsmouth. Uh, what people need to do now that they didn't do back then because of these changes? Maybe you can just elaborate a little bit. Well, one of the things that uh, people need to do in addition to the savings and having an expectation of a longer retirement horizon uh, is it's really important to think about what you want to do when it comes time to retire because, you know, many people now, and you mentioned it a minute ago and I'll come back to it, Many people are, you know, very healthy at age 65. Uh, they want to do things. They have a lot of life left in them. Uh, they want to, you know, travel. They have hobbies. Uh, so there's two things that are important. You need to take a look at that, uh, not only that time horizon and the money, but it's also very important to sit down uh, and think about uh, for yourself what you want to do in retirement. You know, you sit down and you, and you take a yeah. piece of paper and you say, what am I going to do a day, a week, a month in retirement? And so you have an idea how you're going to spend your time and you create that expectation. 
Uh, and if you've got a spouse at the same age, it's important for them to do that too uh, so that you're not, you know, kind of surprised at each other that, uh, you, know, you know, what am I going to do now that I've got all these days and all this time on my hands? And sometimes, uh, you, know, it's, you know, like I say, it's important to look at the next chapter of your life. And what we also are seeing a lot of is what we call re-careering, uh, where somebody that's been maybe, say, an engineer or something like that, uh, might go uh, retire and then teach high school or college-level math, or maybe they decide to start a new business that's related to a hobby that they like, uh, or they you know, do something else that you know, they find that they enjoy. And that's why it's important to ask yourself, you know, what do I want to do? Because you, you, know, you may want to stay active and have somewhere to go or something to do each day for the mental stimulation as well as the social. Yeah. Well, Joe, uh, what other, what else can someone in going over your plans, looking at stuff? Because you know the time can go by quickly if you're retired. You haven't looked at something in a while. Your paperwork, your plans, important. Uh, very important uh, to start to take a look at uh, what your retirement plan looks like. All the things that we've been talking about, uh, starting typically at least five to seven years before you're ready to retire, uh, so that you have some running room. Uh, to make adjustments if you need to. It's important to sit down and, uh, and find a financial professional that you're comfortable with uh, who can build a model for you in retirement and, and help you to answer the question of, I've got all these different assets. i got a 401K. i got investments. I have a business. My spouse has a pension. When do we take our Social Security? To start to ask yourself the question of, what, you know, how do we deploy these different things? What money do we use first? Uh, what tax, what t- strategies are tax efficient versus less tax efficient. Uh, and you need to start doing that, like I say, at least five to seven years beforehand so that you, you have time to arrange things and make sure that they're set up in a fashion that they'll be able to deliver your needs and expectations. Right. And, and by the way, that isn't just financial. It's important to look at your uh, estate planning documents, to think about long-term care, uh, you know, consider you right. know whether you keep a home, all that sort of stuff. And finally, Joe, uh, you know, if people like what they're doing. Maybe you don't quit or stop it altogether. Maybe you just scale it back a little bit, keep doing what you're doing, and you know, look for ways to cut expenses in your life to take that pressure off, right? Well, uh, yes, and and frankly, that's what I'm doing myself. You know, I sat down with that piece of paper and said, all right, what am I going to do a day a week a month in retirement? And I tell everybody, I. Started, got to the first date about noontime and thought, well, this just isn't going to work for me because, uh, you know, I have hobbies and things that I like to pursue. Uh, but I also uh, very much enjoy what I'm doing, my career, and working with my clients. And, and so, uh, you know, it may be that you keep working. Uh, you may keep working on a, a reduced schedule, part-time, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, only a few days a week, or a consulting basis, things like that. Uh, and that keeps you in the game, but it also uh, enables you to have an alternate source of income uh, that changes how you approach that retirement. And, you know, there are quite a few people, uh, and a Pew Research was done, uh, Pew Research Center, and, uh, you know, 20% of Americans 65-plus were employed in 2023, which is double the number that, of 35 years ago. Yeah. And they also said nearly two-thirds of the employees who are 65-plus are working full-time uh, versus only half in 1987. So, yeah. 
you know, there's definitely a trend to that, a demographic to that, that bears out these things that we're saying. And, yeah. And everything we've talked about might be financial or physical or practical, but there's also the emotional piece. Sometimes people might be happier and healthier, mentally speaking, if they're working part-time or out there with other people versus sitting around trying to find hobbies. You know, sometimes people working longer are in better, happier health and moods because they're happier. Absolutely, because you keep your mind going. You have the emotional interaction that comes from uh, working with your peers, the satisfaction of your work. Uh, you know, sometimes you're developing younger people, transferring knowledge to them, uh, all sorts of things that, that you know, are beneficial uh, in that way, uh, certainly emotionally and mentally right. uh, uh, for people to keep going. There's no question of that. And if all else fails, try and get a job working at a golf course versus playing at a golf course. All right, Joe Guyton, I know that you can always call you. <laughs> Guyton Group, 766-603-766-9200. Pease International Trade Port in Portsmouth, 766-9200. Ask for Joe Andrew of the team. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Jack. Take care now. Another story we're tracking this morning, Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, joining us live. Big surprise, Rory. Huge surprise. Another critic, another opponent of Vladimir Putin just amazingly winds up dead. Good morning, Rory. Yeah, funny how that happens. But give credit to the widow who is now coming forward to say she will continue the fight to try to bring reforms to Russia. Uh, This comes just days after Alexei Navalny died at a prison camp in the Arctic Circle. Now, the Russian government is still refusing to release his body. We had uh, Navalny's mother outside the prison a short time ago demanding that they release the remains so that they can get an autopsy done and figure out what happened. The family, now this is the family's claim, that uh, Russia used a toxin, a neurotoxin, that would dissipate after 14 days and couldn't be traced, which is why they want to access to the body as soon as possible. Yeah, how did we think that was going to end at a secure Russian prison in the Arctic Circle? I don't think he was coming home, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, he knew that, too, which is more remarkable. You know, he survived a poisoning attempt in 2020, went back to Russia in 21 knowing that he'd be thrown in jail, and that's just exactly what happened. He was sentenced to 19 years for extremism, and now you've got hundreds if not thousands of Russians being arrested for holding vigils uh, to honor him. Yeah, crazy stuff. All right, Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio, National Correspondent. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Tom Raffio, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, host of the Delta Dental radio program, heard here in the Pulse on the weekends, and author of the books, one of his books, Stories from the Starting Line. Good morning, Tom, with some good news. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so in terms of running, uh, we have a very unique race coming up on Sunday. We're going to be at the Mount Washington Auto Road, and it's a snowshoe, fat bike, and ski race to the clouds, and that starts at uh, 10 a.m. So Delta Dental uh, is one of the sponsors, and you have to decide whether you're going to run up the auto road in snowshoes or ride it up with a uh, with a fat bike. Um, the one difference between this and the Mount Washington foot race, which is in June, is you go up only halfway, and then you got to find you. Then you have to get yourself um, back down. So that is uh, on uh, Sunday. And if all else fails, you can take the cog. <laughs> That's true. And by the way, we um, more to come on this later, but the, we are doing the race, the COG, uh, again this year. That's that's the week after the Mount Washington Road Race. And essentially, we've had a couple of human beings 
uh, beat the cog up, and of course those engineers got a real perturbed. So when they when they will when they were beaten the first year, the second year they made sure to beat uh, Joseph Gray, um, who is you know the fastest mountain runner on the planet, and he appears in my book. And the book's out there. We added by popular demand, we added a new chapter, chapter twelve. So now we have. 90 runners, a lot of local icons, you know, that are in the book. On Saturday, I'll be in Franklin for a snow, or what's called the Snow or No Go race, and another snowshoe race up up in Franklin. Um, again, all of, all of these races, you know, are for, or for charities. And last week, I had a wonderful experience, Jack. Uh, Tuesday. Um, the day before Valentine's, I had a uh, conducted and hosted a legislative reception where a lot, a lot of legislators, senators, and representatives um, came to One Delta, and we kind of transformed this into a reception and it gives me an opportunity to thank them for their service. Speaker of the House Sherm Packard was there, but it but it gave me an opportunity to describe the the veterans program and what we're doing. And I think people were most impressed that, in addition to the possibilities of being served at the VA or by Medicaid, that Delta Dental will uh, be sort of the last bucket of resort. So if you can't get served, if you're a veteran, give me a call at uh, 223-1300. So we went over that, and we also gave an update on Medicaid, which is going really well. We have about 160 providers, and where we don't have enough dentists, we're bringing the mobile dental clinics um, out there. So I'll touch base with you on Friday for more you know, more updates. And last weekend, we had the final race in what's called the Hopkinton race. Uh, Winter series, and that raises money for the very thing I was just talking about, you know, veterans oral health. So I just love the connection between population health and and raising money for the you know for charity and getting out there myself. Actually, as slow as I am now. <laughs> Smarter, maybe slower, but smarter, right? <laughs> I like it. So thanks for all you do, and thanks again for calling to my attention um, this hurdle we have with the veterans oral health, which we're addressing. Thanks very much, Jack. We'll talk Friday. All right, you're the best. Thanks. You too. Bye.